0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Jane Lee and this is Campaign Catch-Up. We're in the third week of the 2022 federal election. It's Monday, the 25th of April. Today, Guardian Australia's political editor Catherine Murphy is here to discuss how climate change has started to enter the campaign. But first, here's what happened today. Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Deputy Labor Leader Richard Miles were in Darwin today, where they attended the same dawn service to commemorate Anzac Day. Defence Minister Peter Dutton warned that China posed an increased risk in the Pacific region. The only way that you can preserve peace is, is to prepare for war and to be strong as a country, not to and not to you know be on bended knee and be you know weak. That's that's the reality. Curling up in a ball, pretending that nothing's happening, saying nothing. That is not going to be in our long term interests and we should be very honest about that. We have to be uh, realistic that people like Hitler and others aren't uh, just a a figment of our imagination or uh, that they're consigned to history. Uh, We have in President uh, Putin at the moment, uh, somebody who's willing to kill women and children and that's happening in the year 2022. It's a replay and part of what's happened in the 1930s. This followed the PM's comments over the weekend that if China moved to build a military base on Solomon Islands as a result of its security pact with the country, it would be a, quote, red line for Australia.
0: Words are one thing, action is another. This is a government which beats its chest.
1: Deputy Labor leader Richard Miles agreed that Australia needed to prepare for war, saying it was in complex strategic territory. But he blamed the government for making Australia less safe.
0: If there is a Chinese military base in the Pacific, Australia at that moment is less safe. And the fact that we find ourselves asking these questions in this moment says everything about the failure of Scott Morrison in his managing of the relationships in the Pacific, and specifically Scott Morrison's failure to manage the relationship with Solomon Islands. Because of Scott Morrison's failures, Australians are less safe.
1: Controversial Liberal candidate for the Sydney seat of Warringah, Catherine Deebs, gave an interview over the weekend. It was her first media appearance since a series of articles revealed offensive comments she made about trans women online. She since deleted the comments and apologised for many of them. I have received death threats. I have had to have the police and the AFP involved. My safety has been threatened. My family are away out of Sydney because I don't want them to witness what I'm going through and nor do I want their safety put at risk. But New South Wales Police said it had not received any reports of such threats. The Australian Federal Police declined to comment on matters it may be investigating. And Australia's first threatened species commissioner, Gregory Andrews, said the country's natural wildlife and biodiversity is the worst it's ever been. Andrews said he was sad that biodiversity and nature had not been talked about in the first two weeks of the campaign, and he called the ongoing destruction of forests and other habitat, quote, crazy. Coming up, Catherine Murphy is here to discuss how the climate wars may have returned to this election. So, um, environment, it's in week three, finally. Oh, the climate, Um,
0: climate, she's
1: back. (laughs) (laughs) The coalition has told the UN that Australia will hit net zero emissions by 2050, but one of its Queensland candidates is saying otherwise. Mm -hmm. So,
0: what's happened? Well, uh, Colin Boyce is the LNP candidate for the central Queensland seat of Flynn, Flynn's an important contest because uh, the incumbent LNP guy, Ken O'Dowd, is retiring. And so Labor has fielded a candidate who is a former mayor of Gladstone. And they're attempting basically to get that seat back, even though it's got a whopping margin of more than 8%. So Colin Boyce, uh, in an interview with the ABC, uh, suggested that the net zero commitment that Scott Morrison went to Glasgow for and told the UN about in a nationally determined contribution that, oh, well, look, it's just sort of a statement and it won't be legislated and there's no requirement to actually do anything. And uh, look, the geopolitical environment's deteriorated, so maybe none of this will happen. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's one candidate.
1: I know the Nationals and the Coalition haven't always seen eye to eye on net zero, but how significant it is—is is it that this one candidate has has said this? I mean, obviously, candidates slip up sometimes and go outside the party line, but what should we take from this? Well,
0: it's not a slip up. Is the first thing. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's like this. We we need to just be clear, right? Mm. Uh, there was a whole debate that spanned many months last year where the Liberals and Nationals deliberated about whether or not they would adopt a, a net zero commitment. Mm. Went on for months. It was resolved. The pa- These two parties, the Liberal and National parties, agreed to a net zero commitment by 2050, Target, Mm. which, as we said a minute ago, Scott Morrison went to Glasgow, made a song and dance about, and Australia has submitted to the United Nations as a nationally determined contribution. Mm. So, you know, let's... The nationals can't pretend that they haven't signed up. They signed up in, in full public view. Now... Colin Boyce basically says nothing concrete's been agreed, Uh, fossil fuels generate significant wealth. Now, look, that's true, but what these guys aren't telling voters is this form of wealth generation has a finite life. And if governments don't help manage this transition then a whole lot of voters in Flynn are going to be left without any decent economic prospects. Boyce is basically saying, I like a horse and cart. Yes, I understand there's new technology coming that will make transport much more efficient, and I understand that technology will revolutionise the way our economy works, but I'm sticking with my horse and cart Mm. because I like it. It's also, let's do another analogy, Jane, just because we can. Perhaps... Colin Boyce doesn't much like mobile phones, because he says, look, fixed line telephony used to make a lot of money for Telstra, so nothing needs to change. Now, obviously, that is a ridiculous position to adopt. And in the current environment, everybody would be laughing at Colin Boyce for how ludicrous this position is. But here these guys are pretending that nothing needs to change. And I think Australians actually want a future for their kids, you know, that, that, <laughs> that involves both a habitable planet and some basic economic prospects. So the best way for us to get to that future is for politicians to stop lying. Mm. Now, now, I see no reason at all to be polite about this because being polite is what's gotten us into this mess that we're currently in. So we can also look around, it wasn't just uh, our friend in Flynn, Barnaby Joyce, front of the ABC on Sunday, he said, I won't be using the word transition because that means unemployment. Well, Barnaby Joyce, why did you sign up to net zero? Hmm. That's a transition, right? He signed up to it. That's a transition by definition. Basically, Barnaby Joyce wants to have done the deal, extracted his billions for infrastructure projects, which he's now out and about in the electri- election context, selling all around the country, but then somehow pretend he hasn't done the deal. Mm. Well, Barnaby's done the deal. We were all there and we saw it. So you can't have this always. It's not just mm. a slip up. It's, it's, it's a deliberate fudging of messaging in different markets. We see Liberals in city contests saying the complete opposite, That, you know, we've signed up to net zero by 2050. We've got a decent climate policy record. So all these dreadful criticisms of our government for having no climate policy, they're all false because we've made this commitment. So which is it? Yeah. Have we made the commitment or haven't we?
1: Right. So you argue that this is a calculated move by the nationals in this election
0: to kind of have a bet each way. Well, basically, look, Scott Morrison used to tell voters, I say the same thing, regardless of where I am around the country. Well, maybe he does, but the nationals don't. Mm. And last time I looked, the nationals were part of the government. And last time I looked, this was government policy. So this is either a thing or not a thing. Mm and the reason that it's a different thing in different parts of the country is because these people see electoral advantage to doing that. Mm. But it's but it's dishonest and it should be called as such.
1: Mm. Labour has has faced a bit more scrutiny over its own climate policies over the last over the last couple of days I suppose. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how how they stack up?
0: Yeah, well look, uh, Labour has put a quite detailed policy out into the public domain and some modelling accompanying it. Uh, there, are, there are lots of questions that that policy answers, but as we make this transition in the event Labor wins, um, you know, there are some things Labor can explain in quite a lot of detail now. And there are other elements of the policy that they basically will have to take advice on in government and implement, you know, with with a lot of technical advice. So that's sort of where we've seen some of the questioning start to take off. Like what, you know, what's the treatment of coal? Will coal have to reduce its emissions in line with a net zero commitment? Uh, There's been some renewed debate about whether or not coal in Australia will face any more onerous conditions than coal in other parts of the world, for example. Well, some of these questions can be answered and some are, are TBCs and that's where you can get this weaponisation occurring again where where you can't provide absolute chapter and verse on every element of the policy.
1: Hmm. I mean, yeah, as you say, we're seeing Labor getting questions On the details of its policy, on the finer details, are the coalition's policies on climate change or approach to climate
0: change getting as much scrutiny? (laughs) Well, it's sort of the Australian law, Jane, that 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 doesn't happen. (laughs) I can't really tell you why that's the case, uh, because it sort of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you know, over this past weekend, for example, you know, Barnaby Joyce says he doesn't like to talk about transitions having just signed up to one, and yet the sort of uh, the focus in a lot of the stories was what, uh, you know, an obscure question that Labor hadn't answered about its policy. It's sort of, I, don't, I, I can't explain that phenomenon. I don't understand why that happens, but it, but it tends to happen. In, look, in broad terms, the coalition does have a nationally determined commitment to uh, reach net zero emissions by 2050. But uh, the coalition has also been widely criticised by a range of experts and stakeholders that their sort of the mechanisms to, to to get us on that trajectory, to get us on that path, are entirely unclear despite, well, apart from some investments in technologies to try and bring down the cost of those technologies to try and accelerate the, the transition. It's, it's not really how these things work. <laughs> you do actually need not only an, an end point, like a destination, you, you actually need a roadmap to get you there with mechanisms and interventions in order to achieve the result. And, you know, Scott Morrison's got a target but uh, you know he he doesn't have a concrete policy underpinning it, so there's a there's a ruddy great vacuum there. So Murph,
1: you know we've heard a lot about the cost of action on climate change. Uh, is that the only cost we have to worry about, though?
0: No, <laughs> it's not. It's not, and this is the most frustrating thing of all. It's of course there are costs associated with transitions. There always are, right? But then. You know, these transitions are not all about costs. They're also about benefits, and both are equally valid when you're trying to assess whether something needs to be done or isn't done. It's not only costs, it's benefits as well, right? And then on the flip side of that, as well as the absent benefits, we've got the, you know, totally absent, so often in the debate in Australia, is the costs of inaction, and they are substantial. It's (laughs) the cost of inaction means basically not not acting with the with the required speed in order to forestall the most dangerous elements of global heating and what that means out of the jargon is you know do we have a, a habitable planet or not that's what we're talking about in terms of you know but but it's not only it's not only environmental costs it's economic costs Australia is the one of the most carbon intensive economies in the world. Our entire economic bedrock is structured around fossil fuels and carbon intensive industries. The world is making a transition. It's already happening. Global capital has made a choice. This transition is going to happen. If we don't have a government prepared to help smooth and manage this transition, by looking ahead, by creating new industries to, you know, thrive and prosper once the old industries are destroyed, then generations of Australians will bear that cost. You know, we're, we're a high wealth, high privilege, high income country, all predicated around fossil fuels, the economic commodity of fossil fuels. You know, if we care about the material well-being of our kids and our grandkids and generations after them, then, you know, our generation, the people here now, have a responsibility to think about the costs of inaction as well as the costs of action. Thanks so
1: much, Murph. And on full story tomorrow, we have our environment editor Adam Morton going into the detail
0: of both major parties' policies on on energy and environment. Well, well, guys, that's going to be a must listen because nobody is more across these issues than Adam Morton, and no one can explain them more clearly than Adam Morton. Thanks so much, Murph. No worries.
1: That's your campaign catch up for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.